0: Hello and welcome to the Redemption Church podcast. We're a church in Newmarket, Ontario, Canada that exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission and the spirit of the Great Commandment. Thanks for joining us today. Father, it's the joy of our hearts to sing of the power of the name of Jesus, and yet it's an even deeper, greater joy to experience it. And so, God, I pray in this moment, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, the only power that can make this possible, Lord, would you truly cause us to experience the power, the beauty, and the wonder of the name of Jesus Christ? Lord, that's all we want. God, cut out the fluff, cut out the distraction. God, give us Jesus, trusting, Lord, that when we see him in the fullness of his blazing glory, our lives will be changed forever. And so, God, I pray in this place you would find hearts that are humbled in your presence ready to hear from you, ready to experience the life change that happens when we meet you, where you are in your presence, Lord. Thank you for this time. Bless it, we pray, Lord. We pray this in the name of your Son. Amen. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Thank you, John, for leading us in such a wonderful time of worship. If you have uh, your copy of God's Word, and I hope that you do, you can open it up to Genesis chapter uh, 44. We're going to be working through Genesis 44 and 45, and you're going to look around, you're going to see a lot of people with their uh, word of God open, and that's because we believe that this truly is God's word, that God has written a book, God has spoken, and if we are able to hear what he has to say in his word. We're able to really like, it's, it's like having a conversation with God himself. And I don't know about you, but if I were to show up to this church and to see this random guy preaching, I would want to know that he's giving me God's word. I don't care what he has to say if he has God's word. And so we always preach from God's word. And this morning we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 44. And over the last several weeks, as we've walked through Genesis and specifically seen the life of joseph what we've seen is is god in relentless pursuit of his people that's who god is god as a god is a god who is relentlessly in pursuit of you if you are his chosen child he will not stop until he has you and we've seen that happening in the chosen family of god we've seen it with joseph where god revealed to joseph that he would be the one through whom the blessings that he god had planned to pour through abraham it would be joseph that those blessings would pour through and despite joseph being sold into slavery despite joseph being imprisoned what we've seen is god delivered joseph to himself that all that time god was walking with joseph and yet in saving Joseph, and redeeming Joseph's life, God was not finished because God was after the hearts of Joseph's brothers. And so God sent a worldwide famine. And as suffering often does in our lives, this famine squeezed the brothers of Joseph. And pressured them to look for life, to look for salvation, to go back to Egypt. And last week we read of the brothers running into Joseph, not knowing that this was the very brother that they had sold in the slavery years ago. And what we're going to read of this morning, as we walk through these two chapters together, is really a story of restoration. Where this family is reunited. This, this family finds reconciliation. It's beautiful, gospel-dripping reconciliation. And what we're going to see this morning is that this restoration that happens in this family this this reconciliation between joseph and his brothers and ultimately between the brothers of joseph and god it's a reconciliation that comes through repentance it comes through the repentance of judah and his brothers now this is really important for you it's really important for you and i it's important that you and i understand this from the very get-go that the reconciliation That happens with God can only happen through repentance it's the only way forward you cannot meet with God as much as you came this morning and you want to encounter God's presence you want to experience God you want to meet with God you cannot do it apart from repentance repentance is the pathway into God's presence That's why when Jesus came to this world, imagine this, God loving his children so much that he sends his own son to the world on a missionary trip to redeem his own beloved children. He sends his own son, Jesus Christ, to the world, and Jesus comes, and you know what the very first public words we have recorded of Jesus were? This is the very first sermon that Jesus preached. It started with this word, repent 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 for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus spoke in his very first public Message and we say well is Jesus just kind of like this grumpy hellfire brimstone preacher and the answer is No, because Jesus knew this if he had one message in Fact he would summarize his whole ministry as this in Luke chapter 4 He would say that his ministry was to come to call sinners to repentance because Jesus understood this, that when God's people practice repentance, they're ushered into the very presence of God. Get this this morning. If you fall asleep after this sentence, you don't get any more of the message this morning. That's okay as long as you download this sentence into your mind. Are you ready? Repentance is a short-term sorrow that leads to everlasting joy. It's a short-term sorrow that leads to everlasting joy. Have you ever heard the phrase, no pain, no gain? It's true, isn't it? There are things in life that it's worth, to, it's worth it to embrace the short-term pain in order that you also may embrace the long-term gain. And I want, you to, I want to show you what is that, that is most true of. It is most true of repentance. Repentance is a short-term sorrow. It leads to everlasting joy. Listen. Listen, that's what's available to you this morning. That's what's available to you every day because of what Jesus Christ has done. Repentance that leads to everlasting joy. You know what the problem is? The problem is that repentance is unnatural to us in every way. We shudder from repentance. It's it's unnatural to us. It's Unnatural to us in many ways. It's unnatural to our world. Isn't that true that the, the message, the doctrine of repentance is unnatural to our world? Just the other day, I, was, uh, we, I went to Toronto Island, and I was walking with my wife, and uh, there's people that are biking behind us. And, you know, whenever someone's biking and they're having a conversation, it's natural for humans to eavesdrop, right? You guys do that? Put up your hand, you eavesdrop. I don't know. I was for sure. And in the short snippet, I caught an amazing story of the—, the uh, they must have been friends, and, and one of the friends was talking about a relationship they were in and they were saying you know whenever this person got angry they and i would confront them on it the, the person would just say hey you need to let me give me room to allow my emotions to vent And so here you have the situation, you know, that happens so much in the world where someone's confronting someone, calling them to change. Hey, your anger is not okay. And what the world's view of anger is, is no, it's actually just a natural uh, kind of venting of emotion that you don't want to stifle because if you stifle that, it's going to be unhealthy. But then this person was also saying, but then whenever I got angry, it's like this person was all of a sudden upset with me. Which is funny how that works, isn't it? See, repentance is unnatural in the world. The the world tells you that guilt is misplaced. The world tells you that the very thing you need to do is not repent. Instead, you need to find comfort in the things that are wrong. Well, repentance isn't just unnatural to the world. It's unnatural to the church, isn't it? We live in a day and an age where the gospel surrounding sin and the talk of sin and the talk of repentance is offensive so that there are even theologians who are who are really doing work to to take out the gospel of re, or, or the doctrine of repentance from the gospel. And we live in a day and age where the so-called church growth experts say that in order to grow the church the thing you need to do is not talk about sin. Talk about the benefits, talk about the blessings, but never talk about sin. And if it's not enough that repentance is unnatural in the world that it's unnatural in the church repentance is unnatural to us what does what does john say about the light coming into the world it says the light came into the world and the people loved the darkness do you understand this that apart from the power of the holy spirit right now you can never hear these words apart from the holy spirit working in you you will never be convicted this morning that repentance is the path to life you will leave this place completely unchanged because the spirit needs to work and yet if you find repentance this morning if even in this moment you were to pray this prayer God God show me God soften the heart the the soil of my heart that I might hear this word then then what you find is that repentance is the path to restoration to reconciliation isn't that interesting Repentance is the path to reconciliation our world says condemnation world says don't talk about repentance It's too hard too much sorrow too much condemnation the gospel says liberation the gospel says Reconciliation Well then before we talk about repentance. It's probably good to define it. What is repentance? Well the easiest way that you could define repentance is is that it's a turning from sin repentance is when you're walking one direction And you're confronted with something that you are doing wrong before the Lord. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says repent, right? He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is is at hand. And so here you are walking. I'm walking in the kingdom of miles. Walking in the kingdom of earth. I'm walking my own way. And all of a sudden, I, I hit a wall where I realize I am doing something that is counter to the kingdom of heaven. And repentance is that action of acknowledging that experiencing the sorrow of the way that you've been walking for so long, and then turning and walking the other way. That's why Jesus says, repent, the kingdom of, his, of heaven is at hand. What he's saying is, is, instead of walking according to the kingdom of earth, instead of walking according to the kingdom of your own life, repent and walk in the kingdom of heaven. This is what repentance is. Very simply, repentance is turning from sin to God. It's experiencing gospel-driven change. And so then this morning, in Genesis 44 and 45, I want to talk to you about the motivation of repentance, the work of repentance, and the reward of repentance. Let's start with the motivation of repentance. Now remember the context of Genesis 44. Joseph and his brothers and his father, the whole house of Jacob, has been experiencing famine. It was a famine that Joseph actually was revealed to by God a famine that would come on the whole world, and his brothers are experiencing this famine, and they're hungry, and they go to Egypt because they hear that there's food in Egypt. And what they—actually, they don't discover is when they get to Egypt, it is Joseph who is responsible for having the food. And so they meet Joseph. They make two trips to Egypt, but they do not know that this man that they are speaking to that is being so gracious with them is their very own brother. And now after their second meeting in Egypt— After having a feast with Joseph his brothers are going back home and look what it says in verses 1 to 5 of chapter 44 read along with me if you know a copy of God's Word maybe share with someone beside you or pull it out on your phone it says this then he commanded the steward of his house fill the men's sack with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack now this is very gracious thing to do what what Joseph is doing is saying, in the the middle of this famine, let's give them as much food as we can, and let's not even make them pay for it. Now look at verse 2. And put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. See, what Joseph's doing here is setting up his brothers. Joseph is setting up his brothers. Joseph's already had them in in sort of a test. And the test with Joseph's brothers is this. If they're put in the same scenario where they could sell one of their brothers for profitable gain, like they did for Joseph so many years ago, would they do that again? The question here is, like, have Joseph's brother really experienced change? Have they really repented of the, thing, of the evil wicked that they did to Joseph? Not only Joseph, but God is ultimately putting them through this test in order that they might... Turn to him in repentance. And we look at that and we say, well, this is kind of odd, isn't it? Like, is Joseph trying to frame his brothers? It seems like the, wrong, the person in the wrong here is ultimately Joseph. And yet what we recognize is that God is, using, God is using Joseph's action. By putting the cup in the bag of Benjamin, God is using that action to test this. Have they changed? In fact, if you flip forward, we're gonna get here in a moment, but in Genesis 45, verse seven, when Joseph reflects on this, he actually attributes all of these things to God. In verse five, he says, for God sent me here before you to preserve life. In verse seven, he says, and God sent me before you to preserve you a remnant on the earth. All throughout Joseph's life, we've seen that his ear has been close to God's mouth, and Joseph has only been doing what God has commanded him to do. And so what we find here is a test for Joseph's brothers. It's a test to bring about their repentance. And I want you to just take a break from the story for a moment, just to recognize this amazing gospel truth for your life. The the, the motivation for repentance for us is the fact that God has given us the option to repent. That's astounding. The only reason that that we can spend all this time talking about repentance is because God, in his grace, this morning, is pursuing your repentance. That should blow our minds, because that's gospel truth. We've sinned, and if, if life were fair, if life were just, we would pay the penalty for that sin. And yet God like we read this morning in psalm 103 he's full of steadfast love and he's slow to anger and he's so willing to forgive the iniquities of his children that he calls them to repentance do you do you know this that the number one fan of your repentance the number one fan of your life change is god himself No one is more excited about you changing your life. No one is more excited about you walking for God than God himself. He's your number one fan. And yet, you know what often happens in us? We often kind of have this feeling that like we'd never say it, but we have this feeling that like God's like begrudgingly accepting us when we turn to him in repentance. Like we turn to God in repentance. We recognize the wrong we've done. And God's like, here you are again. I knew you'd be here. No, instead, what we see when we read scripture is this, is that, is that God's the number one fan of our repentance. Repentance is only possible because God is extending his arms of forgiveness to us. You think about the prodigal son. How how does the father accept the prodigal son? You remember that story of the wayward son who took the father's riches and splurged it all on partying and drinking and was a great dishonor to his father? And what happens when he returns home? Well, the father, he hikes up his robe, and he runs through the market. It's an embarrassment to himself. And he hugs his son, embraces him. He makes a feast for his son. No one supports this son more than the father, and so it is with you. No one is more supportive of your repentance than god himself and so my question is this why why do we believe that we're on our own in in the journey of repentance that like it's as though like god doesn't really care about helping us like he's not really going to change us god longs for our repentance that's why he offers it you you ever met a parent of maybe this has been your experience they have a wayward son or daughter like this this son or daughter has just gone off the rails. their life is a complete mess. maybe that this is a Christian family, and they 've abandoned the faith, and this person's not following the Lord and living a horrible life and and what what is the desire of that parent isn 't the desire that that child would turn back to them that they would come back home, that the prodigal would return that the wayward son would come back to the familiarity of home. So much more is it with God. He desires our repentance. He makes it possible. Well, in verse 4, then, we read the servant then confronting the brothers. And so the brothers leave in verse 3, and it says they had only gone, in verse 4, it says they had only gone a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, Up, follow after the men and when you overtake them say to them why have you repaid evil for good is it not from this that my lord drinks and by this that he practices divination you've done evil in doing this and in verse 6 we read this that he overtook them and he spoke to them these words now what the servant is going to say to joseph is really interesting he's going to find them and he's going to search through their bags and he's going to Sorry, what the servant's going to say to the brother is he's going to open the bags, find the cup, and then he's going to accuse them of stealing. He's going to accuse them of this sin. Look what he's going to say in verse 4. Why have you repaid evil for good? Now, something really, a really interesting question should kind of be uh, growing in us right now. And the question is this, like, should Joseph's brothers be worthy of condemnation because of this cup? Are they really guilty? And the answer on the surface level is No. At a surface level, they are not guilty of this sin. But the purpose of this particular action isn't to frame them. It's not to peg, you know, something on Judah that Judah never did or something on Benjamin that Benjamin never did. The purpose of this is to bring about the repentance of the actions that they actually did to Joseph. See, the conviction that, that God wants to bring about when the servant asks the brothers, why have you repaid evil for good, is not so much about the cup as it is about the sin they have committed in selling Joseph into slavery. The question is this, when, when God has been so good to you, why have you repaid him with evil? We know what that's like, don't we? Don't you, don't you know what it's like to, like, you pour out your charity on someone? You give them all the good that, that you can give them? And it's like, figuratively, they just turn around and spit in your face? Parenting feels a lot like that sometimes, doesn't it? Like, you're getting a kid a bowl of cereal, and they throw it back at you, and you're like, hey, listen, I'm just trying to help here, okay? I'm just trying to help. And that's what God is looking at these brothers and saying, all I've done has been good to you. I promised you that all the blessings of Abraham would flow through your family. I've given you life. I've given you blessing. And, and what you did is you took this blessing and you repaid me with evil. You spit in the face of God's goodness. And you see here, this is the second motivation for repentance. See, on one hand, we repent because it's possible. But on the other hand, the motivation for, for repentance is really the goodness of God. We forget this so often that the thing that will motivate repentance most is an understanding of how good God is. One pastor says it like this. He says, true repentance starts with the recognition of the holiness of God. He says this, we we cannot rightly perceive the greatness of his goodness without apprehending the puniness of our own. Such a realization causes us to fall down in humility before God. And you know the reason that, that so many of us have, have had so much false repentance in our life, so many of us have tried to turn away from sin, but we haven't really been able to? It's because so many of us don't have the goodness of God deeply rooted into our hearts. We just don't really believe that God is all that great. When we do believe that God is good, then to sin against him— Brings us great sorrow isn't that true in life like when you know someone who who is just so pure and tender-hearted to let them down is like a really big deal and in light of this i want to tell you about a lady that was in my life in bible college called her name was myrtle myrtle was a jamaican lady and and she was the cafeteria cook i went to a small bible college and seminary and so there was only one cook and she was the sweetest old lady, she would make all the food, like it was way too much for her to do. She'd do lunch and dinner every day for all of these students, and it was way too much work for her to do. Now, I wouldn't use the cafeteria, but I'd constantly run into Myrtle because uh, I survived on peanut butter and jam sandwiches in Bible college. In fact, one time I saw a meme and the meme was like making fun of a person who was in front of the row of whoever made this meme. And it was saying, this person makes a peanut butter jam sandwich in the middle of class every week. And it had been upvoted. Everyone was laughing. And I was like, that's literally, that, that's me. That's what I do every day. I'd go to school with a bag of bread and, and a jar of peanut butter and a jar of jam. And that's how I survived. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, peanut butter and jam. At the time, I worked at Cora's and you got free toast. And so I'd make peanut butter and jam there. It's just how I survive. Now, that has nothing to do with the story, I don't know why I talk so much about peanut butter and jam, but here we are with Myrtle. I would go into the kitchen and make my amazing peanut butter and jam sandwich. If you want any tips on the best way to make it, there are better ways and worse ways. I can give you those after the service. I would make my peanut butter and jam sandwich. I was not eating any of Myrtle's food, but there was something that happened. When you walked into Myrtle's room, if she had a giant bowl of unpeeled potatoes, no matter who you were, you were peeling those potatoes. You would come in and she would ask for your help. She's got way too much food to cook for way too many people. And so you'd ask for your help. And I wasn't even gonna like partake in this food. I wasn't even gonna get to eat it, but Myrtle was too kind. She's too good of a lady for me to say no. And so I'd finally, constantly find myself there peeling other students' potatoes because of Myrtle's goodness. I just couldn't say no to her. And the more you believe in the goodness of someone, the more it breaks your heart when you let them down. And how much more is that true of God? If God has been eternally kind to you in Jesus Christ, how much more should it break our hearts when we sin against him? That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, he says it's, kind, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. What shows us this. You know, the more mature you are in the faith, The more like Christ you are, the more repentance will be a part of your life. You understand that? because like if maturity is growing this love for God, you're growing this awe of of God's goodness and the amazing nature of the gospel and what he's done for you and how kind he's been to you, then even the smallest sins are going to bear such a heavy weight on you because you know how good God is. And we tend to think like repentance, that's like the first step of faith. But really what the Bible shows us is that that repentance is is a daily step-by-step work. We live, Martin Luther called it a life of repentance. And the closer you are to God, the deeper the repentance goes because you see God's goodness in greater and greater light. And this is what God is trying to convict Joseph's brothers of, Judah and his brothers, that God has been good to them. Joseph has been good to them. And here they are, sinning against him. And so in 7 to 8, look what happens when the servant confronts, sorry, when Judah speaks to the servant after being spoken these words. The brothers, they say, "Why, why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal gold or silver from your Lord's house? And look at how they respond in verse 9. It's very intense. Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die. And we also will be my Lord's servants. Judah and his brothers, they they look at this accusation and they say, hey, if that's me, listen, you, you, you can kill me. I'll put my life on the line. Like, if, if I've committed that sin, that, then my life is over. We look at that and we say, well, well that's really intense. It's, it's also a bit of a foolish thing to say, given the fact that this is not the first time in the last few chapters that something has been snuck, in into, the, snuck into their bags. It was just last chapter that Joseph also snuck the money back into their bags. It happens quite frequently. And so it's kind of foolish for them to look at the the servant and say, that would never happen. Well, it did just happen. And it's about to happen again. And yet look at their reaction. Like, if, if I've sinned against God in this way, they say, then I deserve the punishment of death. And remember, this isn't about the cup. This is about what they've already done to joseph and what they're doing here is they're they are pouring condemnation on themselves they are laying out their own penalty they're looking at joseph's servant and they're saying if i've done something even less than that like taking a cup let alone selling my own brother for slavery then give me death and what judah understands here and his brothers they they understand here the seriousness of sin don't they They understand that the penalty for sin is death. They've been gripped with an understanding of the sinfulness of sin. Judah had already given his life to Jacob as a pledge. And here they're confronted with the sinfulness of sin. This is necessary for us. See, it's not just God's goodness that drives us to repentance, It's also an understanding of just exactly what sin is. When your heart is gripped with the seriousness of sin, the sinfulness of sin, then you will turn to God. You recognize how wicked the thing is that you're doing. And the reality is that as believers, we have a seriously deficient view of sin, don't we? We minimize sin. In fact, as some of us think about sin, you know what we think about, like our theology of sin is that that sin, the the problem with sin is that it, it robs us of joy. Or we might say that the problem with sin is that sin hurts other people or we think well the problem with sin is that that sin lets down god i want you to hear this this morning that that the greatest problem with your sin is that if you are not saved your sin is leading you to eternal damnation like all those things are true of sin sin will rob joy from you sin will hurt others sin will let god down but the ultimate wrong of sin, the ultimate condemnation of sin, is that it's leading to your eternal punishment. And so who cares about all those other things? Because of your sin, you deserve eternal death. And when we have a proper understanding of sin, we understand that eternal condemnation, it's not like God's overreacting to small sins. We understand that any sin against an infinite God is worthy of infinite punishment. This is why when Jesus preaches about sin, you know what he says? He says, if your hand and your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Take it seriously. He says it's better to go into eternal life maimed than to be thrown with two hands or two feet into eternal fire. This is the seriousness of sin. And the reason why repentance is so lacking in so many of our lives is because the Holy Spirit hasn't hasn't convicted us about just how serious sin is. that's what motivates us to repentance that's what causes us to look for repentance in our lives but I want you to see secondly what we learn about in the story and that's the work of repentance what does repentance take what work do I have to do and from here on we see Judah really lead his brothers in the work of repentance and the first thing I want you to recognize is that if if we're gonna participate in the work of repentance we need to admit our own doing there's some substructure under this point okay and so we're talking about the work of repentance but I want you to understand that the first work is that you admit your wrongdoing And so in verses 12 to 13, the servant searches the cups, the the bags, and he finds the cup in Benjamin's sack. And so look at at verse 14, how Judah responds. It says, when Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. And look at verse 16. And Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? And listen to what he says next. This is really important. God has found out the guilt of your servants. And it's significant that he's not talking about the cup here. You know that the guilt that Judah has isn't concerning the cup because look what he says after that. He says, Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. What Judah is saying is, we're all guilty. Well, in reality, none of them are guilty. But on maybe a, a lesser reality, like Benjamin at least is guilty, he had the cup. But Judah's looking at it and saying, listen, we're all guilty. You know why? Because Judah in his mind is not thinking about the cup. Judah in his mind is thinking about the moment that he sold Joseph into slavery. Judah's not acknowledging his guilt for something he hasn't done. Judah's acknowledging his guilt for something he has done. We already saw this in Genesis 42, verse 21. If you turn back there it says this then they said to one another the brothers in truth we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen this is why distress has come upon us see judah recognizes his guilt and he recognizes before god the thing that is happening is the punishment for his wrongdoing and I want you to understand that repentance in our lives it begins here. It begins with admitting our wrongdoing. It doesn't end there. So some of us have this idea of like repentance is that that like all I got to do is just say, okay, God, I'm sorry, and then move on. And that's not repentance. But repentance certainly begins there. There cannot be any repentance if you do not see your wrongdoing and admit that it is wrongdoing. But I want you to recognize the heart of this wrongdoing. See, it's not just that, what Judah recognizes here is, is not just that he's done wrong. It's not like, okay, well, those are wrong actions. What Judah recognizes is that like, this, this wrongdoing is before God. It's before God. I mean, it's really interesting in verse 16, what Judah says, right? He says, God has found out the guilt of your servants. Well, in this scenario, it's not God. It's very much Joseph and his servant, isn't it? Like if this is all about the cup it's joseph who's exposed the guilt of judah and his brothers but but judah understands this on a much deeper level it's god who is exposing him the person that judah has ultimately sinned against is not even just joseph the person that he's sinned against is god and so the first thing you need to do is admit your wrongdoing but the second thing you need to do is recognize your offense we admit our wrongdoing and then we recognize our offense listen this is how you know in your life that repentance is genuine. You think about why you're so sorrowful over the thing that you've done. You know, there's a lot of false repentance in the world, but there's also a lot of false repentance in our lives. The, the, the thief, the, don't they bear sorrow when they're found out? And the sorrow there has nothing to do with the wrong that they've done. It has everything to do with the fact that they can't, on, can't keep doing wrong. And the way that you know that repentance is genuine is that you ultimately see it as an offense to God. You remember in David's life? This is what happens in David's life. When when David sleeps with Bathsheba, murders Uriah, he lives with that for years. There's no guilt for him. Until one day, he's confronted. And when he admits his wrongdoing, we read in Psalm 51. He says, against you and you only have I sinned. Well, is that true? No, not really. He just murdered a man. Not really. Like, Bathsheba's life is ruined too. It's also against them. But but what David understands is that in comparison to who's been wronged, he has wronged God infinitely more than he has wronged any man. And so that he says, against you and you only have I sinned. Heath Lambert writes this, I think it's so helpful, he says this, Until God is your chief concern, until sinning against him is what makes your heart break, you'll never turn the corner. Let me read that again for you. Until God is your chief concern, until sinning against him is what makes your heart break, you will never turn the corner. You know what I hope that's doing right now? You know what that does in my life? It makes me feel like kind of helpless You know, repentance in your life can't just be like, okay, I'm just going to do better this time. I'm just going to change my ways. Because like until God has taken such a big place in your heart that there's no room for all of this sinfulness and waywardness and laziness, until God has taken so much room in in, in the affection of your heart, you will never turn from your wrongdoing. I read something like this. I'm reminded that I, I need God's help. I can't do this work of loving God so much that when I sin against him, I recognize my offense against him. I need God to do that work, and yet what happens is often because I can't do this work, I just kind of skip, we, we just skip this step. But I want you to know that, that our repentance, it will always be false unless we see our sin truly as God sees it. Without this step, you and I, we, we can't actually change. See what happens is is when we're confronted with sin. You know what often we do we have sorrow. But our sorrow often it's just more about the consequence than it is about the actual evil that we've done. You know, many times repentance is more just about like being found out that you know like you you got angry and that anger was so public that other people saw it and you're not actually sorrowful. You're just kind of embarrassed. You're more worried about the consequences than, than the actual evil. And, and, and what you need to understand is that Holy Spirit-given repentance is always worried about the evil. Holy Spirit-given repentance is always—rather than the consequences, rather than the way that anger made you, your spouse or your kids feel, you recognize that this anger it came out of your heart. And you look at your heart and you realize that, that it's not just a symptom, it's a disease. That you're broken. without the step of recognizing our offense to God. We can't change. We need to see our heart's wickedness and then pursue heart transformation. And you and I know this, that, that we can't change our own heart. We can't change our own heart. You and I just cannot do it. God is the only one who can change the human heart. And so when we, when we recognize our offense before God, what happens is, is the soil of our hearts is then tilled so that true change and repentance can happen in our life. It's all about the heart repentance can't happen change in your life cannot happen apart from your heart being changed it's only once the love and affections of your heart are directed towards God that you will then live for God isn't it true that if you love something it is so easy to do isn't it isn't that true like I was talking to someone in our church this week who they love uh it's not knitting is knit no it is knitting knitting is the one with the two needles right you can tell that I don't love it because that's how I knitted like that. And I also said two needles like that. And so they're talking about how they love knitting and they made a sweater and they said the sweater took them like hours and hours and days and days. And they loved it. Like it got them through the pandemic. And I looked at them and I said, like I, that would make me want to go into a mental institution. I could never do that. And there's different, the, you know what the difference between us is, is that this person loves knitting, they love creating things like that, and so they're able to sit there for hours and do it like, it's easy, it's a breeze, and I can't stand doing things like that, and so I could never do that, I'm like I need to be like moving or doing something, and the, the difference there is, is what we love in our hearts. And the fact that there's love for knitting makes that incredibly easy to do. And the fact that there's like this hatred for knitting makes that incredibly difficult to do. And so it is with our life. If you love God, then you will follow him. And the problem that is revealed in our sinfulness and the need for repentance is that we don't. We don't love God. And that's why it's so hard to follow him because this thing that we need to repent of, why why it causes so much sorrow is because it's revealed this this heart-level Hatred towards God. And this is why David prayed again in Psalm 51, cleanse me with hyssop, because he re- recognized he need, something needed to change. Something in his heart needed to change. And the third thing you do in the work of repentance, if you're going to be pursuing repentance in your life, you admit your wrongdoing, you recognize your offense, and you change your course. See, Judah proves his heart has changed because his behavior has changed. But I want you to recognize this. I'm going to say that again, and the order is so important here. First heart change, and then behavior change. The repentance that some of us experience is done without the heart change. So there's a behavior change, and we can like hold that up for like a few days, maybe a few weeks, but it never lasts because you need heart change. And so there's an order here. When you admit your wrongdoing, you recognize your offense, you recognize the the need for heart change, and you change your course, it flows. From heart change. And Judah, in the rest of chapter 44, he proves his heart change in that his behavior changed. You know what happens now? Judah, where he previously hated his father, and so he sold his brother, whom he also hated, into slavery, now all he can think about is his father and his brother Benjamin. His heart is so overflowing with love for them. That's all he can think about. He's a changed man. He's been put in the same exact scenario. At this point, he could leave Benjamin and say, you know what, Joseph, just take him. Just take him. We'll take the money. You take Benjamin. That's a great trade if you have a brother who's really annoying. But he doesn't. His heart's too filled with love because he's been so transformed by God. So that it's, it's really beautiful in verses 30 of chapter 40. I'm going to read this for us. It says, now therefore, Judah's speaking to Joseph, talking about what will happen if he goes back without Benjamin. So now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up with the boy's life, as soon as he sees that boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. So look what he suggests. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bear the blame... Bring him back to you then i shall bear the blame before my father all my life now therefore please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my lord and let the boy go back with his brothers for how can i go back to my father if the boy is not with me i fear to see the evil that would find my father what judah is saying is this i love benjamin so much i'm willing to place my life sacrifice my life for his he's completely changed and you see this is what genuine repentance does It makes itself known by its deeds and its actions it's not just feeling sorry but true repentance you know what the fruits of true repentance is it's a willingness in your life to confess that sin to other believers see one of the ways one of the surest ways you know that repentance is false is that you're still like you're still hiding that sin you're unwilling to repent it of it and confess it to believers who can help you true repentance is this a willingness to make it right and it's a willingness to forsake what caused it. You know, it's another way that you know our repentance is false. You, you you sin, and you're so broken up about that sin that you're going to cut out all the things in your life that that cause you to do that sin. You know, if 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 you really struggle with gossip, and you really believe in the seriousness of that sin. You know what you're going to start doing? You're going to stop hanging out with the people who gossip. No matter how lonely that makes you feel, like the, you recognize that the sorrow that comes from committing that sin is much, much worse. And so you forsake what caused it. Now, again, this is my hope right here. My hope right here is that like, repentance is such a hard work that, that you're looking at this right now and saying, I, I can't do this. I, can't, I, I just can't do this. this. This is not in me, and I want you to know that it's not. It's not in you. This, is, this has to be a grace of God, which leads me to my last point, the reward of repentance. It's really beautiful in Genesis 45. We're only going to be here very shortly, but look at 45.1. Such a beautiful picture of restoration. Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And in verse 4, Joseph says to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. What could Joseph say in this moment? Like, can you imagine that moment? You're with these men that just, they sold you for slavery and you've lived a really horrible life because of it. You could say a lot of things. Hey, what the heck was that about? Hey, you guys owe me. You've got to make this up to me. But God here, he's teaching us about the reward of our repentance. And Joseph's response to his brothers, it points to God's response to us when we repent So that he says in verse 4 he says i'm your brother joseph whom you sold into egypt and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here listen to this for god sent me before you to preserve life you know you know what the reward of your repentance is it's the same reward of judah's repentance instead of judah experiencing the penalty of his sin which he said himself was death what comes out of joseph's lips and ultimately god's is this that the reward of his repentance will be life and there's a principle here you know what's growing death in your life you know what's growing separation in your life it's every area of your life you're unwilling to repent of before the lord you know what will produce eternal life in you It's repentance. If you leave this room pursuing repentance, you pursue life. Every time you repent, this is what God funnels into you. He funnels spiritual life into you. And so, yes, there's sorrow for a moment over the sin that you've done, but the moment you turn, God's blessing is funneled of life into your life. See, this is the amazing truth. If, if right now, in this moment, unbeliever or believer, if right now, in this moment, you turn to God in repentance. Listen, I don't know what the, what the sin is on your mind that the Holy Spirit might be convicting you of, the thing that you need to get rid of in your life. I don't know what it is, but certainly the Holy Spirit knows, and I'm sure in this time, is convicting you of that very thing. And this is the reality, that if you turn from that to God, you will experience not condemnation, but life. In the moment you turn, And I hope that in this moment, that's what you're doing. Believer or unbeliever, I hope in the moment that's what you're doing. Because to have the uh, option to repent in this moment, to be able to breathe the air of God's forbearance, where he's not pouring out his wrath on you yet, is an amazing opportunity to repent. You understand this reality? There are many who lived their lives and did not repent of sin. And because of that, this is a hard reality, but it's true. They are in eternal condemnation right now. And the Bible says if they could have a millisecond of the air that you're breathing right now, where they could turn in repentance, they would do it in a heartbeat. You recognize that? Whether you walk out of this room believing or unbelieving, you will at some point in your eternity recognize the need for repentance. The question is, will you recognize it too late? And right now, you're breathing the air of God's forbearance, and God is, has you in this place. For whatever reason, he called you to this place, and he's having you listen to this message that, th- to be frank, no one wants to listen to a message about repentance, and yet he has you here for, for a reason, because if you will lean into the hardness of repentance, if you lean into the sorrow of repentance, the reward is eternal life. Not only was the reward... Life, the reward is reconciliation. So in verses 9 and 10, Joseph calls his brothers to go get his father to bring them back to Egypt so that the family can be reunited. And you understand, this is what repentance is all about. Repentance is all about reconciling you to the Father. Repentance restores a relationship to God. This is what it does. This is how God has designed it. So that the moment you repent, the slate is wiped clean. You're given new life. This is that amazing day that... Yeah, are any of you like that that amazing feeling after garbage day? You know, you take out all the garbage from your home, you put it in the bin, you put it in the curb, and you watch them come, they pick up all the garbage, and it's all gone. Fresh slate. All the bins are empty to be filled once again, and so it is with our life. Repentance, it refreshes the slate. The reward of repentance, life reconciliation. Lastly, I want you to see this blessing. Some of Pharaoh's servants, the highest power in the land, heard Joseph crying with his brothers, and the report was brought to Pharaoh, and in verse 16, it says, when Pharaoh heard of the report, in verse 17, Pharaoh says this to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, Do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Not only are they given life, not only are they reconciled, every blessing you could pretty much possibly think of is given to them. And you know, for you and I, the same is true. In repentance, you know what God is doing? He's inviting us to his dinner table, he's inviting us to a feast. He's inviting us to partake in the greatest joy we could ever possibly partake in in relationship with him this is where repentance always ends repentance starts in sorrow It starts with the admission of your wrongdoing it starts with the recognition the sorrowful recognition of your offense before God but true repentance always leads here tears of sorrow that then turn to tears of joy Feelings of despair that through repentance then turn to feelings of hope as you are in the arms of the one who can truly change your heart and change your life. So what do we do? What do we do? In light of the motivation, the work, and the reward of repentance? Well, I think what Jesus' words were in the first sermon that we have recorded in Scripture are so relevant. We repent. We repent. And I wonder what the work is that God is convicting you of in this moment. The very work that you need to leave here repenting of. I think the scariest thing that you could do is leave here and think, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Because all of life is repentance. All of life is repentance. Let's pray together. Father, God, thank you that even as we hear such a hard message about sin and repentance, It is a message that is really about hope and life and joy. It's a message about restoration and reconciliation. And God, we thank you that you have made this possible. God, it is, it would be fair for us to pay the penalty for our own sin and for redemption not even to be a possibility for us. And yet, Lord, through repentance and the sacrifice of your own son, you have made that more than a possibility. You've made it a reality. And so, God, I pray right now in this moment, even as we sing this song and declare your praise, Lord, that we'd be turning to you in repentance, Lord, saying we're putting off the ways of this world, we're putting off the ways of the flesh in order that we might follow hard after you, Lord, and long to have hearts that are so deeply in love with you. God, we pray this all in the name of your Son. Amen.